Welcome to On Democracy with F.P. Wellman. I am Fred Wellman, your host. We're back in our studio in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, it's great to be back. Last week was uh, down in Georgia for the whole week, helping my friend Marcus Flowers uh, debate Margie Taylor Green and, 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 and handle some media. It was a lot of fun. I, I just love Northwest Georgia, but it's always good to be back in St. Louis back in my fancy studio. As always, I always like to mention our friends at Vi Media, the award-winning digital market agency. It's based right here in the greater St. Louis area, our sponsor. They are your marketing partner, consistently generates proven growth in a variety of different industries. They can serve all of your digital market needs, and I hope we'll give them a call or check out their website. Their website's really easy to find. It's vi.media. That's V-I-E dot media on the web. I hope you'll give them a chance and and, and talk to them. Uh, so this week's show is another one. I just want for the record was I just love it. Another great pro-democracy movement uh, voice. I'm excited to talk to them. You'll, you probably already know them. Like always half my guests, you always know them already. But so let's with that. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Fred Wellman. This is On Democracy with F.P. Wellman, the, the show where we talk to great folks from around the country and around the world who are fighting for our democracy and the moment we face in the world. On that note, this week's guest is one of the <laughs> one of the key voices I follow. I, I tip him off a lot. I talk to him a lot online. I think we've DM'd and tweeted back and forth. Uh, Ron Filipkowski is an attorney, uh, former Marine, former Marine, uh, triathlete, historian. You probably know him best for his falling out with Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida and his subsequent blossoming as a force of nature, uh, tracking the far right and their silliness online and their right-wing extremism. Ron was a f- uh, federal prosecutor, or prosecutor and a Republican, lifelong Republican. Uh, you know, while watching the threat posed by the, to our democracy by right-wing extremism, he became a national social media influencer. And uh, he's been seen on BBC, CNN, MSNBC, and on uh, democracy with F.P. Wellman. <laughs> he's recently launched his own <laughs> podcast, Context. And on top of all that, somewhere in between all that, Ron, you got a day job as a practicing attorney based out of Sarasota, Florida, which is why sometimes you're hard to get, hard to get hold of. But, you know, we have to all have day jobs. We can't do this for fun. So, Ron, man, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here with, uh, on the show. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's yeah, great. Nice to nice to get to talk to you other than through Twitter. Right? <laughs> I know. I, I made, I've made so many damn good friends, though. I just, I, I love the platform so much. Hopefully, Friday doesn't ruin it. We'll see. <laughs> so, uh, so on that note, you know, maybe the last of it right there, but we'll see. Um, you know, Ron, I think we talked a little bit before, and I, I mentioned that, you know, one of my favorite things to do on the show, if you've watched it, is I really like to talk to folks about their journey. You know, how did you get here? Where did you get here? You know, I, I, my journey to where I ended up in Link a Project and here is is pretty well known at this point. And, and yours is too. I've seen some interviews you, that you talk about. You were a lifelong Republican. You were a Marine. Um, you knew, you were a party official. You ran the club, I think the Republican club in Sarasota, just, which means you you loved your work. I mean, and, and, and now you find yourself on the other side of that. You know, when did you start? I, I like to, I, when did the veil start getting lifted off your eyes that perhaps you were no longer in a party that welcomed you? I would say probably the first was the election of Obama probably is when it really started, although it, it was kind of a slow burn at that point. Um, I was the Republican club president, the largest Republican club on the West coast of Florida at that time when wow. Obama was elected. Yeah. And I just started to see in the club, you know, the, the racism come, come out, you know, the, the real venomous hostility to Obama that was personal, you know, with all the, the, the stuff that you see with John, that John McCain did, you know, yep. of, of yelling at the guy who tried to call him a Muslim or, yep. you know, whatever. I had those very same experiences in my club where I was saying, look, you know, 
we can disagree with Obama about a lot of things, but what you're saying right now is crazy, you know? So I would knock it down and, and, but you just saw, that was the first time I really saw the ugly side of some of these people, but I still believe that that time, you know, it was only about 10%. Right. I think I was probably wrong. Right. (laughs) Yeah. The the loud minority, right? (laughs) Right. That's what I thought at the time. And then of course, you know, the, the election of Trump was a, a watershed moment. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I talk a lot about, and if people see me talk, you know, for me, it's funny how there are these moments, you know, and you know, for me, and I think for, probably for you as a former Marine, it was the, it was the interview we did where he talked about McCain not being a hero because he was captured. And, Huge. and, and I yeah. say it, and I think you're probably the same way. I, I, I know we say, think the same way it was, it wasn't so much that Trump said that, look, that's just Trump Trump's, you know, Trump. But what bothered me really was the following weeks where the people I expected to condemn that, the people I expected to completely basically kick him out of the party at that point and end his presidency and his, his attempt to be a president did not, you know, that our fellow veterans, our fellow, um, you know, some veterans groups and others, they rallied around him in many ways. I mean, if you remember um, that just weeks later, uh, the folks for the, the, the Rolling Thunder ride, they used to run the Rolling Thunder ride. They don't run it anymore. But Rolling Thunder invited him as the guest speaker at the end of Rolling Thunder on Memorial Day weekend in Washington, D.C. Rolling Thunder honors POWs and MIAs from Vietnam, and they invited a guy who just said that POWs were cowards, basically. They weren't heroes. And I was, I said, oh, shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <clears throat> I don't belong here anymore, right? And, and I had run for office as a Republican, and, uh, and there we are, right? That's the moment you see it. At the time he said that, I was teaching a class um, on the history of the Vietnam War, because I've, I've always taught part time in addition to practicing law. Right. And, um, you know, we covered the POWs. And, and one of the things you learn about the McCain story is that his father was an admiral. Right. And he was given the option very early on in his captivity to go home. Right. And uh, because of who his father was and, uh, you know, on, 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 on a prisoner exchange and he turned it down. Right. He said he said, I don't want to get any special treatment. I don't want to, I want to be treated just like every other person in this camp. And so he, he literally voluntarily was tortured for an additional five or six years when he could have gone home at any time. Right. So to say that that is not courageous. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I already disliked Donald Trump, but that was the deal breaker for me. But yeah, like you said, for me, the most disappointing thing isn't the behavior of Trump. It's the people around him who enable him and don't call him out. You know? Right. Right. And that's, many of that's whom it. are people that we liked. That's the thing. People we worked with, people we knew. I, I have friends. I mean, um, classmates from West Point. I have I have a very fractured uh, relationship with my alma mater now because of this, because I have been so vocal. I am, I'm not terribly welcome, I think. And, um, and, and that's the choice I think we had to make. I mean, those of us who decided to go in the direction we did and, and take that risk. I think it was worth it. Obviously it was worth it. We're on the right side. History will write this and we'll be on the right side of it, but it's, it's pretty ugly in the, in the near term. Right? So you, you know, you were an appointee, you resigned mm-hmm. after the raid on, on the doctors, on the, on the, on the, on the you know, lady's house, um, who's running for Congress now. Um, and so you discover to start, start throwing these clicks up on these clips up on the internet. I think that's when I came across you. I was at the Lincoln project at the time, um, doing our right. veterans work, you're a Marine <clears throat> veteran. So I've been tracking you for a while and, 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 and that work is good. And, and so you, you've seen the rise of this extremism and the danger we face as we come into it now. Right. And so now we are, here we are, let's flip to today. Right. So here we are, we're two weeks from the midterm, um, less than two weeks now. Um, 
we always say democracy is at stake, uh, but really is. I mean, there's key Senate races. I know you're tracking specific races and states. So, you know, what is the play? I mean, is the, you know, the Senate's in play, the House is in play. I'd love your perspective. I mean, where, where is it in play and where are the key places we need to be looking and, and, and what can be done? That's a lot of questions in one question. Isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, just tell me everything, Ron. <laughs> let's start with, all right, so let's pick center races. Let's pick some center races you care about. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we've talked, you and I talked about Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Georgia, obviously Georgia I'm passionate about. Um, what else you got in your radar and what's your thoughts on these center races and, and, and what are we, where are we going to see here soon? I, I felt pretty early on in this cycle that the house was lost. Okay. I mean, that's just my own personal feeling that, with all, all of the things lining up with it, you know, no growth in the economy, the, inf- I knew the inflation, yeah. you know, the pullout of Afghanistan, which was messy, um, you know, the president's approval ratings, history, all of those things lined up, uh, the redistricting yeah. by yeah. the Republican legislatures, all those things lined up to kind of make me think the House is a lost cause and that the best we can do is, is just, you know, keep the Republican major- majority slim. Yeah. So I pinned all my hopes on the Senate races, you know, um, if we held the Senate, then, you know, that would be, that would be a, a win. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I early on focused all of my attention on the candidates that I thought was going to be the biggest threats in these key Senate races. So I focused on masters and, and yeah. Herschel. And I think I was the first person who posted on Twitter that Herschel was going to run for Senate because wow. I was paying attention to what MAGA was saying. And that I posted that last spring that he was going to run spring of 21. Wow. Um, so I was tracking Walker Oz. Yeah. All of these, all of these people uh, pretty early on and identifying them as, you know, the key, the key races, um, you know, the Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania races uh, last night with Fetterman. Yeah. You know, I mean, the way I see it is, is if we don't, we, the Democrats were absolutely banking on that seat, you know, picking up that seat, right. uh, you know, three months ago. Um, obviously, the only reason why they they might not is because of Fetterman's health, which is unfortunate. So if if the Democrats lose Pennsylvania, in my view, we have to pick up something like Utah, right. you know, with McMullen. That's, that's the only way to save the Senate if they lose Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, because I think we hang on to Arizona. I think Kelly holds on there. I think Georgia's going to be a, a coin toss. Right. I think, you know, probably Ryan loses Ohio just because it's a, I think Ohio's just too red. Yeah. Um, but I think he's run a hell of a campaign. Yep. And I think we got an outside shot in Wisconsin. So I think that's how it kind of shakes out. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, these are uniquely bad candidates on our opponent's side. I mean, if Blake Masters oh. is just ridiculous. You know, he's he's unqualified in every way but also he's a far-right extremist um jd vance is a fraud in every way possible it, you know dr oz of course is charlton and a you know a con man and then of course herschel walker is uniquely unserious you know <laughs> um and it's frustrating i mean i think that their their base of support is frustrating for a lot of us who have some sanity left in our minds um and 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 do you see i, I again i think probably we're gonna end up in a runoff in georgia there is a libertarian i believe in the candidate there so there's the, they have to get 50 percent in georgia but you know it's amazing to see someone who's so incredibly competent and 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 dedicated to his work as Raphael warnock to be challenged by somebody who's as unserious and um dangerous in many ways as as herschel walker um do, where where does that come from do you think i mean what is the power behind these unserious candidates I don't think it's people. Do you think it's the money and the money people that drive the MAGA movement like Peter Thiel and others? What's your take on that? 
Well, it helps, but yeah, one of the things that I've been, that the money people certainly help, but no, I, I think that what I've really learned over the course of two years of really diving deep into what MAGA is, is that there is this ecosystem. There is this group of about my estimate, about 2000 people that really drive the train. And it's a mistake to look at the Republican party or MAGA as a top down movement with, with Trump dictating, you know, what they're going to think and what their policies are and all of that. That is not the way it works. And I've seen this over and over again. The, the, the things that Trump says in, in his speeches and his rally speeches start out in some dark corner of the internet six months before that. Right. And it germinates and it builds and it gets, and a lot of it is disinformation and lies, but eventually, you know, I'll see it start with some right-wing podcaster and three months later, I hear Trump saying it in a rally speech mm. or I see Ted Cruz saying it on the floor of the Senate. So right. I, it really illustrated to me that what is driving MAGA is the ecosystem is the, the podcasters, the media people, the social media influencers, the event organizers. Um, these are the people that are really in charge of the Republican Party now. The inmates have truly taken over the asylum. Oh, that's that seems exactly. I mean, and we used to talk about this quite a bit, uh, even in, in, in the before days where I would tell, I was a PR guy then, right? And there is this movement where you'll see it from the fringe, and then it'll go to the Free Beacons and the Washington Examiners, right? And then and then it'll make its way to Fox and then becomes mainstream. But you're exactly. right. It does feel like the ecosystem has changed. Really, truly, just the fringes are saying these things. And then that yep. ecosystem is generating the news that goes to those places. I mean, uh, I mean, my God, OAN, the, the woman on OAN yesterday was doing a whole bit about, I think you posted it, about the, how there was the CIA plants. All these, left, these left-wing Twitter people that went to the White House for briefings were actually working for the CIA. It's like the hell and you know that's going to come out in two weeks <laughs> right and uh, and so it's three it's weeks from now matt gates will be saying it right yeah. right <laughs> it's just it's it's just i mean and you and and those of us who have like some common sense you know it's like okay but where where do the common sense go uh and how does it it, it does feed the system i think you're, you're absolutely right i mean i'll let you we're gonna talk about i mean and there's more to talk about the, the election but you know how do we fight that you know ron you i think you and i have had some conversations about that how do you see fighting back against that what is the war we face and how do you fight that war tactically That's yeah perfect. let me give you another example Let, okay. let's just take the ray apps conspiracy great you know, it, yeah i think it, it perfectly 6th. illustrates what we're talking about yeah so i first saw the ray apps conspiracy like march of 21 from a guy named Darren Beatty with Revolver News, right? Okay. He was the one who kind of started it by taking the, this Ray Epps was a guy who was in January 6th, former Oath Keeper president from Arizona, right? who was at the Capitol whipping people up saying, we got to go in there. He, but, you know, he's this typical guy who's all talk, no action. He was getting everybody riled up and then he didn't actually go in. Right. Um, he stayed outside the barriers. <laughs> so he was never charged. So that's what led to this conspiracy is you have video of this guy on tape telling everybody to go into the Capitol and then he doesn't go himself and he's not charged. So that led them to speculate with no evidence whatsoever that Hard he was an FBI plant. Right. <laughs> right. So you see it germinate and you see it spread in their ecosystem and the podcasters start talking about it and the Jack Posobiec and people like that start tweeting Ray Epps videos. And then next thing you know, Thomas Massey takes it into the house. You know, he was the first one who said and brought up the Ray Epps name in a, in a committee hearing. And I, 
I was a little stunned. And at that time, you know, Denver Riggleman was on the J6 committee, who I I know and you know. I do. And I reached out to Denver. I'm like, like, (laughs) Denver, I'm like, this stuff is getting, this Ray Epps stuff is getting out of control. You guys have to address Ray Epps. You need to knock down this conspiracy. He's like, Ron, I, I talked to him, you know, and I think Kinzinger was on his side on this, you know, and, and, and I get it. I hear what you're saying. And I just kept bugging him for weeks and weeks and weeks and watching this build. And then finally, what the straw that broke the camel's back was Ted Cruz. Um, um, Chris Ray came in to a committee hearing and Ted Cruz started questioning him about Ray Epps. And everybody was stunned and like, who the hell is Ray Epps and what is Ted talking about? Right. Meanwhile, I've been following this for nine months. You know, and, and, and so that's when I contacted Denver again and I'm like, okay, what's it going to take for you guys to issue a statement about Ray Epps? So actually later that night, the J six committee issued a statement, you know, we interviewed him. He's not an informant, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is why he wasn't charged. And the kind of the Ray Epps thing kind of went away, but I mean, why did we have to go through nine months of agony with nobody addressing this problem? Right. So, and, so, and, yeah, and I, that I, goes to, but doesn't that go to the weakness we face, right? That the, the pro-democracy, if you will, or the, the people, the normies, if you will, don't really understand this ecosystem that they, they, they live in, right? They don't understand the nature of the enemy, if you will. Um, that's been right. my frustration, right? They, they want to do things as normal. Uh, we talked about yep. this. I say this a lot. People who watch me a lot of, have seen my other appearances say, I, it's normal went out the fucking window when that orange globulous human came down that escalator, right? So everybody wants to go back to normal and, 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 and Biden getting elected didn't make us go back to normal. And, and you see this hunger for normal and it's, I think it's hurting us as we fight this battle because, well, we just want normal and, and normal's dead and, and, and we, the pendulum has to swing back before it can swing to the center, right? It, isn't that how you see it or is that how you frame yeah, it? And, and, and also to get back to your original question, cause I took a long time setting it up to okay. my answer, which is, which is, how to fight it. Right. So yeah, how, the, and what, and this goes to what you just said, we have a lot of PACs out there and the, what, what are the PACs doing? They're focusing on candidates that they represent that are paying them right. to cut ads and do That's the traditional politics. And you're doing, they're doing opposition research on, on their opponents. Right. The problem is, you know, underneath behind those, political candidates is the ecosystem that is driving the whole, the whole thing. Right. And no one's taking that on. There's no pack. There's no pack out there going to war with Steve Bannon and Jack Posobiec, right. you know, but that's where the battle is needs to be fought. So what I have proposed to some people is, you know, to create a team of individuals who do exactly that, right. who, who are anti disinformation specialists, who are going to track these guys, monitor what they say. Every time a political candidate goes on one of their shows or shows up at one of their events, we're recording it and we're outing these people and we're putting what they're doing and what they're saying in front of the general public. Because when they go to these small events or on these obscure podcasts, that's when they're saying these elected officials are saying really crazy shit. Right. And there's no media there covering them. Right. So and, 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 like and the media me. looks down at those. So the media doesn't even yeah. look at the clips of those. And so they, they never yeah. make it. They kind of disdain that conversation. I say that a lot. That's how Glenn Youngkin got elected, right? I mean, Glenn Youngkin would say one thing on the podcast, on the Bannon War Room, and they say a completely different thing to CBS. And he got well, away with that. happens all the time. 
Yep. Yeah, you'll see these guys. They'll they'll post one thing on Truth Social, right? And they won't post that on Twitter, right? You know, and it's like, well, <laughs> you see why. So yeah, I mean, the whole idea of my team is, and, and and not only that, these guys are charlatans. They're hucksters. They steal money from their own followers. Right. I'm aware of all of this stuff. I mean, 99% of what I'm aware of, I don't post on Twitter. <laughs> I can't. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the idea is to take the fight to them, to those people, not elected officials, not even to the candidates. That's part of it. Yes. But to the people behind them, to the right. people who have made them what they are, you, you know, cut their legs out, discredit them, um, you know. And, and so I, I really think that that's the only solution that the problem is. How do you get anybody interested in funding something like that? I mean, you know, there's how do you make money off of that enterprise? You really don't necessarily. Although I think just myself as a part time volunteer on Twitter has generated a tremendous amount of content for PACs to run in ads for free. So I think it could benefit them that way. I've sent you clips, <laughs> you know, yeah, I've it freely, you know, you know I've, I mean, look, I've tipped, uh, I've my, tipped you a few times. I'm proud of Vance, My clip of JD Vance on Bannon's podcast about saying he didn't care about Ukraine. No media picked up on that. Right. I posted it on Twitter and it's a major issue in that Senate campaign. Right. Right. And, and, and that's what funny. I'm talking about. You know, what's interesting, Ron, is about five weeks ago or so, I had a guy named Chris Goldsmith on the show. And Chris is running uh, Veterans for, uh, Fighting Fascism and, and Task Force Butler, uh, an allusion to old Smedley Butler. And they just <laughs> they just got sued, I guess, by the, the Proud Boys because they infiltrated the Proud Boys little training camp uh, in Texas and sent a drone flying over it and got pictures of everybody. Again, and they're doing it, same thing. It, they're like, look, we have to fight this at this level. They, they did an entire mm-hmm. dossier and presented it to various... Uh, you know, DOJ and others to, to actually go after these guys. They're, they're doing that hard work behind the scenes because that's the same thing that these militias, these right wing extremists that you're tracking, the, the, the disinformation networks are undermining our democracy in a way that's fundamental to everything. And this has been my frustration, too, is there's so many groups that call themselves pro-democracy groups. And, and I'll leave names for elsewhere and lawyers. But if you're just if you call yourself a pro-democracy group, but your entire focus is on just winning current races, the next cycle and you're not even taking on the hard races, by the way. Um, right. as, I, as I mentioned in last week's little rant on my uh, on this podcast, I said, you know, not one single third party pack has has participated in the race against Margie Tara Green. Except, like, you know, a few vote vets are, are wonderful human beings, uh, the CBC pack and other, but the big famous super PACs have not gone after Marjorie Taylor Green, who's you know, literally the, 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 the persona of the anti-extreme, the anti-democratic extremist. So it's the same thing with his. I mean, so yeah, I mean, I, I hope you're able to, you know, get that. I mean, and you've got a framework, you've got a plan, right? And uh, so you're hopefully going to start building this and shopping around after the midterm, right? Yeah. I mean, the, that was the whole plan is to uh, implement it next year because here, here's why I say that because unfortunately it seems like, and I'm a new Democrat, I've only been yes. a Democrat for a year and a half, but it seems like Democrats only get motivated and respond to things when they're at the crisis point. And I think <laughs> most Democrats agree with that. There's that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is that, and so honestly, like, I feel like the midterms almost have to go badly for anybody to listen to me. I mean, that, that's kind of the way I feel. Which is Ron, you're Democrats <laughs> right now are, are very delusional yeah. and, and they think everything's fine. 
and everything's going to be fine, and we're going to win the House, and we're going to win the Senate, and Stacey Abrams is going to be the governor of Georgia, and Charlie Crist is going to beat Ron DeSantis, and that's all fantastical thinking. And so I almost think that, you know, it has to go bad for them to wake up, just like happened in 2016. Unfortunately, you know, the Democrats didn't really get motivated to take on Donald Trump, I think until, because I, I think that they thought he was, wasn't going to win. How could he possibly there was win? Just no way. He's so ridiculous. You know? Who would vote for him? It's just, yeah. That, right. that, so, but yeah. they're, they're making the same mistake now, you yeah. know? And, and so I almost feel like they have to lose the house. They have to lose a bunch of these governor races. And then maybe somebody will go, Oh shit, what just happened? Right. You know, what do we do? How do we stop this? Yeah. Um, and, and, and you can't just blame the voters. You know, that it's not their it's not their fault. Well, it's also the big money, right? I mean, the thing we face on the right is Peter Thiel's and these others that Steve Schmidt rattled off about four names during our interview a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You know, what's the gentleman gave like one point five billion dollars. The group selects federal judges. They've literally got lifetime funding now from one guy. Um, We don't see that on the left. Uh, On the left, they give their money to. You know, all the charities, uh, I think the you know, Bill and Melinda Gates are giving all their money away to, you know, charity, which is great, but our democracy is in danger. Um, we don't see our friend, you know, everybody likes to talk about the, you know, George Soros, but Soros actually isn't spending, <laughs> you know, even he is not actually investing in these kind of things. And, and it's, so the money on our side is grassroots mostly. It's, it's what's funded my friend, Marcus Flowers, entire campaign and others it's funded uh, the folks at the Lincoln project it is this grassroots funding you know, harnessing that grassroots and getting our grassroots to understand the danger we face and then giving them to invest in these kind of missions is really tough. Um, yeah. I hope we yes. can do that. And and we have to do it as a team. And uh, I think you're right. I, it does make me nervous. We have seen some mistakes. I mean, let's talk about some, I mean, just in the last 48 hours, our friends, at the congressional uh, progressive caucus released and unreleased a letter about Ukraine and staff error. And it's just like, can we not shoot ourselves in the foot for just a minute? You know, <laughs> you know, can we not, you know, can we just like win, you know? <laughs> and, and it gets very frustrating. When we see these own goals. Um, I mean, do you think, do you, two weeks, I mean, what can the Democrats do at this point? I mean, as we get close to the midterm, I don't want to just give up yet. I do have candidates in the races in Georgia and Louisiana. I do believe yeah, our, sure, our democracy sure. take. You just watched this ridiculous with Ron DeSantis and that just, just debacle of a debate where you look like a deer in the headlights, but still has his followers and friends and, and will may not probably won't change a single mind. Is there anything we can do in these next two weeks that that'll, that'll come help us save these midterms or what's, what's your thinking on that? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Right. That's a big question. And I warned you <laughs> in the next two weeks. I mean, yeah. probably not. I mean, I think the last really big event was last night. The Fetterman debate I thought was, critical. I thought that I think Pennsylvania is a blue state. Uh, I think that um, Fetterman is very popular uh, person in Pennsylvania. And I think that what I said on Twitter a few hours before the debate, that voters are the hesitant voters, the undecided lean Fetterman voters just wanted to see and hear him sound okay and sound good. And I thought that if he went out there and did that, he didn't need to score a bunch of points. He just needed to look and sound good. And he didn't. I mean, to be to be honest, I don't think he did. Right. You know, I mean, I watched the whole debate. Um, I, I think he sounds like he's still very impaired by his stroke. And I think that that's a, a horrible thing. And and it really sucks that now I think if he didn't knocked it out of the park last night, the race was over. 
Right. But he didn't. And now we got to sweat it out, you know, and, and, and then there'll be the blame game. You know, whose, whose fault is it? Is it his wife's fault? Is it his handler's fault? Is it the Pennsylvania democratic party's fault for him not dropping out, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll go through all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, the Herschel, the Herschel race, I guess there's you know, another woman coming forward today. Oh, with I didn't another know. Abortion. Wow. Yeah. So, um, I think masters is toast in Arizona, but good. Yeah. yeah I think, I think so we're going to see a lot of ticket splitting and that's the interesting thing. I think I was, gonna, a, I was going there next, my friend. I was going there next. I'm a Georgia guy, obviously. So, uh, yeah, well, I think there's going to be a, a, at least 4% or so that are going to vote Brian Kemp Warnock. Right. You know, I think Stace, that, and that's another part of the problem is, you know, our top of the ticket people in Arizona and Georgia haven't run good campaigns. I don't think I, I think that Stacey Abrams uh, ran a much better campaign the last time than she did this time. I think Brian Kemp's going to win Georgia fairly easily. And I think that's a drag on Warnock, you know, potentially same thing in Arizona. I mean, Carrie Lake is a complete lunatic, you know, she's, she's crazy, but you know, Katie Hobbs ran a bad campaign. I mean, Tim Miller just wrote a really good article in the Bulwark yeah, about the campaign. And I agree with everything he wrote. Um, so, you know, that could hurt Mark Kelly. So, yeah, yeah I mean, right now there's just a lot of consternation and stress. Yeah, across the board, you know. And and on that note, so let's say, you know, you're in Florida. I'd love to take it back to Florida. Um, yeah. I've got a special place in my heart, a very dark part of my heart for Ron DeSantis and his rise. Um, we've seen his, his, his tendencies in the last two years, four years of being extremely that's authoritarian, if you will. Um, his behavior, Christina Pushaw's behavior is his, his mouthpiece, his propaganda minister or something. I think my friend, uh, Rick Wilson likes to call her the deputy governor. <laughs> you know, I mean, you've lived it, you're living it first, you know, firsthand, the danger of the rise of Ron DeSantis and the future of the Ron DeSantis after this election. Let's, I don't know if Charlie's going to beat him. It's obviously a long shot now in Florida. Um, let's say, let's say DeSantis wins this. What's our future with a Ron DeSantis and, 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 and what are we looking at with his, you've seen it up close and personal. Yeah, well, he's very different than Trump, and it's right. a mistake to even put them in the same sentence because they're so different. Okay, um, you know, Ron is a, 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 you know, let's say, how are they different? Ron is an extremely hard worker, I and mean, I'm not going to take that away from him. He is a detail oriented guy. He works. He works all night. He reads briefing papers. He reads policy papers. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that Trump would never do. Right. That is DeSantis. They're not illustrated, right? <laughs> Yeah. And DeSantis is very good at scripted events. You know, right. he's, he can stay he, unlike Trump. He's very disciplined and he stays on message. Here's the, the other difference between the two is that one-on-one in small rooms with people in rooms with the fat cat fundraisers, Trump is gold. That's Trump's wheelhouse. He's very good in those environments. Mm-hmm. DeSantis is terrible. Hmm. I mean, when you, hmm. you get in a small room with DeSantis, you just want to get the hell out of there. Because he, it's uncomfortable. He's uncomfortable around small groups. He doesn't like people. I mean, this has been documented over and over again. And I know this from people that I know here in Florida who have had interactions with him. So, so they're very, they're very, very different people. Um, I don't think they like each other at all. I think that uh, Trump feels, you know, he made him, which he did. Right. Ron DeSantis would have lost his primary by. 30 points without the Trump endorsement. He was absolutely toast. His campaign was getting no traction. And so Trump, you know, wants DeSantis to kiss his ass like everybody and, you know, say, 
I, I love you. You're the man, you know, and DeSantis won't do that. He absolutely won't kiss Trump's ass. He never mentions Trump's name. Right. The, the last time he's probably said the word Trump was maybe two years ago. Wow. He doesn't even say Trump's name. Okay. And so that bothers, that aggravates Trump. So I don't think they will run against each other. I mean, there's no way DeSantis will run against Trump for a number of reasons. Number one, he knows he'll lose. Number two, even if he won, Trump would blow up the party. Trump would just do what he's doing to the to the guy running for Senate in Colorado and just tell MAGA not to vote for him right. and, just, and just undermine him. So, no, and it would splinter the movement. And DeSantis is like 42 years old. Right. He's he's I know DeSantis will be perfectly happy to wait four more years, wait him out. Right. Um, so, so yeah, that'll, ne- that's never going to happen. But DeSantis in, in, in some ways is far more dangerous than Trump because he is so disciplined. And um, I mean, De- DeSantis won't even give an interview to anyone. Right. You can't, you can't get an interview with Ron DeSantis. And so I don't know how that translates into a national campaign. How, right. how, no one's ever tried to run for president without doing any interviews. Yeah. And he he's might very be the first. And he's very stiff. You saw that in the, you saw that in the, 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 the debate. He's, he's stiff. Like you said, he doesn't do well off script. Uh, he's not clever. No. He's not a clever guy. I mean, I, he, you're right. He's a, you know, he's, and you think he's a lawyer, but you know, he's not, he's not clever. He he's, he, he's not fast on his feet. Uh, he's no. very um, cumbersome and, and clumsy is what I, as I would describe it. Right. It's just, uh, and that doesn't work. People do want, so, I mean, the thing about the thing about Trump is he's a performer, right? He's a, he's, it's where he got where he is. He's an actor and he's, he's been performing for the camera since the seventies, you know, <laughs> and, and he's able to turn it on. Um, although I think he's losing his edge in his old age. Um, thank God. But uh, that's definitely DeSantis. It seems like the bright lights come on and he wilts a bit. Um, so it's interesting. Yeah. But the I danger mean, is there to like trial lawyers. Um, yeah. Me being a trial lawyer, I've done 300 jury trials in my career. And, and you see this with lawyers, you know, there are some lawyers who are very quick on their feet who somebody can surprise them with something and they can shift strategy and change shift gears and in the middle of a trial. And then there are people like, and that's Trump, you know, right. and then there are people like DeSantis who they have their plan. And if it, it, things don't go according to their plan, they don't know what to do. You know, they get rattled very easily. Yeah. We saw that in the debate and that's, that's DeSantis. So, so that's why I don't think DeSantis is going to be a particularly good presidential candidate because what you can get away with in a, in a state race with local media, I don't see how you can do that. Plus, you know, on the national scale. And I don't, I don't, and I think that those big donors, although he's done well with them, um, they, they like to be, stroke they like to be you know right like to have their asses kissed and and ron just can't do that right you know interesting and now do you think any of these scandals will catch up with them too i mean the the you've been like a dog on a bone and and, and daniel ufelder has been a, a dog on the bone with the debacle out of texas and the and the, and the venezuelan uh, migra- immigrants um are are there the scandals bubbling that may unwind this whole thing for him or, or is he untouchable yeah, no, I've talked to the guys behind the the people suing him right now. I mean, uh, the the Andrew Warren case, the district attorney that he removed is a scandal. Right, right. Did Disney? I mean, look, did the Disney thing hasn't hit the fan yet? I talked to Nikki Fried about this like last month. I mean, that was when they stripped Disney of their self governing powers. That doesn't take effect until next spring. So, so is that actually going to happen? Are they actually going to, 
going to strip Disney of their self-governing powers. And people outside of Florida maybe don't understand the significance of that, but that is a huge deal in Florida. Right. Um, Disney is a major operator and they pretty much run Kissimmee and, and that, that is, if they try, if the state tries to go in there and take over that area, um, I'm talking about police, fire, zoning codes and all that. I can't even imagine. Right. I mean, it's been, Disney has controlled that area for 50 years. How is the state going to step in there and do all that? And I, I saw that the tax implications are staggering. Me. I mean, yeah. they're staggering. So you have that, people, you know, you know, suddenly you have that you know, blooming, whew. all the lawsuits. Right. And, you know, the Texas thing where he, he appears to have violated Florida law. Right. The, the biggest problem that we have is that there is absolutely nobody in the Florida legislature in the Republican Party who will do any. They right. all hate him. I mean, I know some of these people, right. they hate Ron DeSantis personally, but they will not, they will not oppose him. They're mm-hmm. all afraid of him. Is it a fear? Is it uh, enjoying the power? I mean, the power trip that he gives them, or is it uh, just that, that they, they know if they cross them, they'll pay a price. Yeah. Well, he's learned from Trump here, that's you know, a couple of the legislators tried to, they, they definitely stood up to him in, in 20. I mean, he didn't get his way in 20, 20. But this year, I think he he took a whole different strategy and basically is like, you know, if you don't go along with me on everything, like redistricting, he, the legislature passed a redistricting map, right. he just tore it up in their faces. Um, he did that over and over again with bill after bill where they sent it to him and he said, nope, not signing this, go back and do it again. And they did. Um, and, and, and a couple of them stood up to him and then he threatened to endorse their primary opponents. Or, or, or to find somebody to run against them in the primary and they back down. So, you know, he's using the Trump playbook to intimidate people in his own party. Yeah. And it, and it's, it doesn't help anybody. doesn't, you know, and that's the problem. I and mean, they, he did, it, 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 I'm not a lawyer, but everything I've read is he violated the law when, with, with the way he used these funds. I mean, for God's sake, they used COVID funds to move these folks clearly illegally. Um, and that's why I, I guess I have hope. I mean, I don't know why I have hope. It's weird. Maybe we should go there. <laughs> you know, I don't know why I'm still an optimist. I don't, it's, it's strange. I've just serving so long in the military that I have any optimism left at all, but nonetheless, <laughs> and, uh, but you're right. I mean, it, I do have hope. I do have hope that the systems will work, that the courts will do the right things and, and catch up with these guys. Uh, but the waiting is killing us. Right. And, and we see that at the national level. And I guess I'll, I'll, I'll wind up with that with our last few minutes. I mean, I know it's hard, but is there a cause? Is there a case for optimism in your view? Where, where can we find optimism? Where is we who are fighting for our democracy? Because I want to bring people up and say, look, don't give up the fight. Um, we were yeah. talking, I talked last week in my, like in the, my quick hit that, that the, the surrender monkeys, you know, these fucking surrender monkeys like, oh, you're throwing your money away. Like, no, I, I, I said this about the Val, and I, I, we'll go back to Florida, the, the Val Demings debate where Val just smoked Rubio, you know, what, what should have been, I should have gotten an email that morning from the DNC the next morning with Val's clips and a split send, right? But instead I got an email from Amy Klobuchar. Fuck, it's like, okay. <laughs> you know, we, we continue to shit on our stars. And is there a cause or a case for optimism to be made as we go into this next phase of our democracy? Yeah, I think two things. There, One, I think there's a, a huge number of what I, you know, I call the silent middle, you know, right. which is a lot of people that don't pay attention, that don't watch the news, that are just not that informed and they've been voting Republican or voting for their party or they're independent for their whole life. And that's right. how they vote. And those people are turned off by MAGA. They, they really are. And, and when I, what I try to do, that's my, the whole point of my work is addressed at those people, um, which is for, for people following me on Twitter who might be progressive, but 
their family members are Republican. You know, right. this is my family members are Republican is to put this stuff in front of them. And what, what inevitably happens, because I've seen this thousands of times, is that people are repulsed and they go, oh, this is horrible. We're not for that. But we don't like Joe Biden or we don't like AOC or, you know, so. Avocado toast Prius drivers. (laughs) So, yeah, the two parts of this are, yes, there's this big chunk in the middle of moderate Republicans that are still Republican, that are still voting Republican, who are repulsed by MAGA. All they want is an, is an acceptable alternative right now. We're not giving them that. Right. And so where is that? It is the younger Democrats. It is the, what I, the middle-aged Democrats. It's the ones in Congress that are between the ages of 30 and 50, I think are the ones that are, that they could that these middle could relate to and could agree with. It's the senior leaders and AOC just unhelpfully said yesterday that the leadership of the Democratic Party is too old. I say unhelpfully because I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. But this is not the time to can, say that. Can Let's we say it two, two weeks? weeks. <laughs> can we hold that, hold, hold that but, fire for two weeks? But yes, that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is that the, this silent middle doesn't connect with Jerry Nadler and Chuck Schumer and Nancy right. Pelosi. We're decent people, but... But they would with I'm Jamie Raskin or Eric Swalwell or Tim Ryan, you know, some of these people, um, e- even a Katie Porter, I think, appeals yep. to, a, to a lot of them. And, and Amy Klobuchar, you just said, right. Whitmer yep. is another one. I mean, there, there are uh, Val Demings yeah. is, is another one. Yeah. So, Marcus, so we have, these, we have gotta... these stars, I think, in the Democratic Party that need to be elevated. The problem is the senior leaders uh won't go away. <laughs> they need to retire. Yeah, so we, we grew up, you and I are old enough to remember the old, you know, the, the AT&T, the Southern Bell, and then the Bell system, right? And and that was always the joke. I, I grew up in St. Louis where their Bell had a huge headquarters, and that was the thing. You need, the only way you moved up in the phone country when somebody died. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, and the old, like, right? You know, like, you know, aren't we past that? But it would be, be nice to be past that. But here we are, right? Because that that seniority does bring with it certain power that that is hard to give up for these folks. Um yeah, that next year. And then I, I find hope in Gen Z. I really do. I, I work yeah. with voters for tomorrow. I'm, I'm a huge fan of their work. I'm a huge, I have hope there. I, I find a lot of hope in this new generation. I've raised a couple of Gen Zers and even a couple of millennials because they're split in, in my in my house. And uh, I have great hope for the the awareness that these kids bring to the table of what we face and uh, and what they've lived through. You know, the health challenges, the health insurance challenges. My daughter's got some chronic illnesses that have made her life very hard. And that's one of the reasons, frankly, I, I, I say all the time that one of the reasons I became more progressive, the outside factors of, of what happened to Obama and all. Um, I used to joke, I, I did veterans work, so I saw the Obamas a lot and they kept being decent people and it screwed me up. <laughs> and But by the same token was my employees. I had an employee who had a challenge getting healthcare. She needed a hip replacement at 32. Uh, I have a daughter with chronic illnesses that struggles with the insurance system. And I, I, I saw firsthand the systems we've built were failing this generation. And I, I find hope there that um, if they turn out, they come out, they're fired up now that their their lives are, in, their, their futures are in danger, that as they come forward. I mean, uh, uh, my, uh, John Delavolpe was supposed to be on last week when we had this disaster logistically. Um, I'm going to blame Matt for that, even though I had nothing to do with it. But, <laughs> you know, when uh, John's got the, their poll has come out, their youth, he runs the youth polling. Uh, that's what John's been doing for two decades. And, and, and there's great hope there. The split is d- the divide between the older generation and the younger generation is staggering as far as the D plus and the R plus. Um, so I guess that's where I find my hope. I, I hope we can, 
keep them in the fight and get them in the fight as they get older. So I appreciate it. Well, Ron, you got a lot going on. Um, so tell us what's next for you. I mean, I think we talked a little bit about it. Obviously you've got your day job and you've got the work you're doing and, and hopefully you'll be doing this full time after the election. Is that what we should expect? I'd like, I'd like that. Yeah. Because, you know, Monday <laughs> through Friday, nine to five, I have to shut down my work yeah. on politics and practice law. And yeah, I've really gotten to the point where I love what I'm doing um, in politics and, and I'm kind of been practicing law for 30 years Yeah, and I'm ready to kind of make a transition. My kids are all grown. There you go. Out of the house. I'm empty certain freedoms. Now. Yeah. So yeah, I'm ready to maybe uh, do something different and really work politics full time, but uh, I probably need somebody to hire me. There you go. All right. There's your call to action. Uh, Matt, we got our call to action for the show right there. And we say you have to have a call to action on your show. That's our call to action. Something to give, give Ron a bunch of money because yeah. the, the fight, the fight matters. You know, I, you know, I, it, I, I think I'm unemployed on November 9th. So I think he's hiring. Uh, no, anyway, <laughs> Here we are. damn it. Jobs, Sucks. Right? Uh, but it's what you got to shill. You got to shill. Uh, no. And, and that's it, right? If we are democracy's in danger and, and when we have activists and people who have the voice and understand it, I think I, hopefully we can find the folks who will invest in those efforts uh, like yours. Cause I'm a huge fan of what you do and you've been a great supporter of the efforts I do. And I have to thank you before we go with all the work you've done for me as, as professionals that we've worked together for in and out since Lincoln project and, and, and collaborating mm -hmm. as, as fellow activists. And that is, um, you know, you, you, you know, politics, uh, politics is full of very broken people, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and so it's always good to find somebody who's in it for the right reasons like you are and, and others. So I really appreciate you for that. So Ron, with that, where do people find you if they haven't found you already online and everywhere? Not, yep, not, not their home. Let's not tell them where your home is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too many people know that already. There you go. Um, on, uh, on Twitter with my name. Yeah. My, my podcast that I do is called context, which I do a little bit sporadically, not regularly, but, um, that's pretty much it. You can follow me there. I mean, I'm, I'm on all the other sites, but under anonymous ah, names. Yeah. The, the breakout. So you won't right. find me on there, but I'm there. <laughs> Smart. I got a couple of those myself. My little sock puppets. <laughs> they love, they love all my stuff. <laughs> well, of course as well. Well, thanks so much. As always, uh, folks can find me at, uh, F F at FP Wellman. I'm FP Wellman everywhere. FP Wellman official on Instagram, of course, right here on democracy pod on Twitter. Hope you'll follow our, follow our Twitter feed as well. Um, I tell your friends, if you like the show, uh, give us a great review and share it. We're available now. Thanks to Matt's hard work on, every single podcast platform you can imagine. Uh, the Lincoln Project documentary continues. It's getting entertaining now if you're watching Showtime. Uh, you can see me walking around on their current episode of uh, The Circus with uh, Marcus Flowers. We, we, they did a, you would have loved it, Ron. They did like a slow motion of us doing doors. Uh, we decided we're going to do everything in slow motion. We all look so good in slow motion. <laughs> so that's what the campaign will now be in slow motion for everything we do. And with that, Ron, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for the work you do. I, I, we all appreciate you and, and uh, I hope you have a great week. And this next week is going to be a raising uh but we'll, we're still in the fight so thank you so much and everyone thank you for joining the show i guess we'll see you next week